Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome aboard the Alan Nathan Show, everyone. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News, here to sound the militant moderate battle cry that we want the Republicans out of our bedrooms, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. And we'd kind of like Russia out of Ukraine, too. We'll throw that on the pile today because today is the first anniversary of the Russian invasion. This is the big one-year day. One year ago was when Russia invaded Ukraine and this war began and everything started going topsy-turvy in many ways around the world. And a year later, Ukraine is filled with corpses and bombed buildings and gigantic amounts of money have been spent and it's pretty much a stalemate. At this point, it has been for quite some time. The Russians will advance a bit. The Ukrainians will push back and everything just kind of stays put. Nothing really huge is changing in a strategic sense. Now, every now and again, when you size the war up and you talk to the Russians or the Ukrainians, they will tell you that they've got some grand offensive coming down the pipe any day now that's going to totally change everything. And they've, they both said this many times over the past year. And it's, it's never really been anything like decisive. The map has changed. Cities have been taken and recaptured the Russians have pushed forward and backwards. But where we stand right now is that Russia's got eh, 10-11% of Ukraine that they've captured and they've added it on top of the breakaway publics that President Vladimir Putin uh, announced unilaterally, recognized by no one else on earth when he began the war. He claims that there are two independent states called Donetsk and Luhansk in eastern Ukraine and these are the areas that were fighting the Ukrainians. A big insurrection was going on out there, a bunch of Russian-aligned nationalists that wanted to separate from Ukraine and form their own independent republic, which really means they wanted to be absorbed into Russia. That was always going to end with them becoming protectorates of Russia, if not actual parts of the Russian Federation. And the Ukrainians were fighting them for years. And then Putin comes in to protect them because he said the Ukrainians were Nazis and they were being brutal to the people of those that area of the Donbass region. And we get the war. And now that we're where we are a year later, they've got Donetsk and Luhansk sewed up under Russia, and they've got about 10%, 11% more of Ukraine, maybe 12 and they've got Crimea, which Russia annexed in 2014, and they're still sitting on it, and everything else is Ukraine. So really, Russia is not any closer to winning this thing than they were the day after the invasion began. A lot of people are dead. A lot of stuff has been blown up. A lot of ammunition has been fired. A lot of money has been spent, but they aren't winning. They're not, they can't even see victory from where they're sitting right now. They'll, they'll tell you otherwise if you ask them, but no serious military analyst thinks Russia is anywhere near achieving their war goals. But Ukraine isn't really winning either. And in a war where nobody's winning, it means everybody's losing. So Ukraine is hanging in there. They're still alive. They're still in the fight, but they have not been able to dislodge Russia from the parts of Ukraine that they really wanted, the, the eastern region of Ukraine. And right now, everybody is wondering if one side or the other will tip the balance enough to at least force everything to the negotiating table. And Ukraine might be able to do that with the tanks that they're supposed to be getting. The West is going to give them advanced armor that they will be able to use against the Russians. So Germany, Poland, and a bunch of European countries are giving them these German uh, tanks, these Leopard tanks, which are top-shelf armor, the Mercedes-Benz of tanks. They're wonderful tanks, and the Ukrainians can't wait to have them. And the United States was supposed to give them some M1 Abrams battle tanks, which are, uh, according to their combat stats so far, the most effective fighting vehicles in the world. M1 Abrams are amazing tanks. They acquitted themselves incredibly well in the Gulf War. They're, they're darn near unstoppable. So we're going to give the Ukraine a bunch of these M1 tanks. And uh, then all of a sudden, yesterday, the Biden administration, being the Biden administration, suddenly pops up and says, um, yeah, about those tanks, it's going to be like two years before we can send those. We, we can't deliver uh, what we promised. They said they were going to send them in a couple of weeks, and now they said it's going to be next year, maybe two years. The war is going to be over. <laughs> so once again, Joe Biden flat on his face with another promise that turned into a, a bunch of crap. The only thing that the Biden administration does well is spend other people's money, and that they are doing with great gusto in Ukraine. Do you know 
that the U.S. amount of money, the financial support that we've pumped into Ukraine altogether, humanitarian aid, military aid, add it all up, it's almost equal to Russia's entire annual military budget. That's how much money we've poured into Ukraine. And if you throw in European and Asian donations, a lot of other countries are trying to do what they can to help. So you put all that money together and you've got 134, 135 billion so far versus Russia's $85 billion military budget. So just staggering amounts of money are being spent on Ukraine. And if you're a supporter of this effort, you think it's worth it. And, you know, that's that's an opinion. A lot of people do think that it's worth it, that spending all this money and investing all this uh, energy and material into Ukraine is bleeding the totalitarian Russians out. They're, they're dying trying to take Ukraine. They're wasting their strength. By the time they're done, they'll beat themselves to a bloody pulp and they won't be a threat to anybody else. And that's well worth $135 billion. Debatable, but uh, also a little bit different when you consider the United States doesn't have $135 billion or $85 billion or $1 billion. We're drowning in debt and we're just sending insane amounts of cash over to Ukraine, just staggering sums of money. And right now it's all just being thrown onto the same debt pile as the rest of our multi-trillion dollar extravaganza spending. So right now it's just funny money. The, the printers in the treasury go burr, burr, burr and piles of dollars fly out and they hand a bag of it to the Ukrainians. And it has no relationship to taxes, revenue, stability, anything else. That can't go on forever. And, you know, the U.S. government is so far in debt that if you want to be optimistic, you could say 84, 85 billion, whatever for Ukraine, 70 billion, another 80 billion may be on the way. Yeah, that's, that's nothing. <laughs> We're already so far in debt. That's like somebody who's, who's completely in debt with their credit cards and totally bankrupt saying, ah, oh, what the heck, I'll just buy another nice steak dinner. What difference is it going to make? But we really are out of money. We have been for years. And our political class doesn't want to admit this. So they're just going to keep spending like crazy. And arguably to the people in the political elite, this is a feature, not a bug. They're, they're kind of happy at the idea that they have a new black hole they can pour billions of dollars into. And if anybody objects, and, and not even objects and says we shouldn't do this at all, mind you. If you've just come along and say, uh, as the House Oversight Republicans did this week, we'd like to audit that money. We, we just want to be careful that it's not being wasted. Ukraine is fabulously corrupt, as Joe Biden knows very, very well, because his family has profited handsomely from Ukraine over the years. It, Ukraine has a lot of problems with where money goes. They always have. This isn't new. You know, Ukraine's been this way for a long time. So you come along and you say, we would like to audit that gigantic stack of cash and make sure it's all going where it needs to go and being spent wisely. And you will be called a tool of Vladimir Putin. You're, you know, you're a Russian agent, uh, Russian disinformation, if you want to know where all the money to Ukraine is going. So it has to be 100% full steam ahead. Money's no object, unlimited support, no questions asked, or you're an instrument of Vladimir Putin. And I think a lot of people in the country are probably closer to the middle. And right now you're being told that's not a place you can be. You, you cannot, you're not supposed to be able to have these contradictory opinions. But you can be very much in favor of Ukrainian people enduring this. You can be very much against Russia conquering territory and creating an empire. And you can be legitimately concerned that they wouldn't stop with Ukraine. And they probably wouldn't, to be honest. Now, where would they go? Would they take over all of Europe? Well, maybe not. But uh, the former president of Russia, of Russia, Dmitry Medvedev, he, he gives a speech the other day where he says, after we we win in Ukraine, he's assuming they're going to win any day now. He says, after we win in Ukraine, we should think about pushing back the borders of enemy nations, including Poland. In other words, conquering part of Poland. So, I mean, there's, there's uh, plenty of reasons to think the Russians are still aggressive expansionists, and if this war went well for them in the long run, they might decide to try another and see what they can keep getting away with. So you, you can be concerned about all of that. But you can also, I think, legitimately, logically say we need to be careful about how much we spend and, and contribute to this effort, and we also have to be realistic about how much we have available to spend. I, I don't know if everybody noticed this or not, but the latest economic numbers came out. The media doesn't want to talk about it because they're freaking horrible. We're back into an inflationary spiral again. The interest rates are heading for the roof. The Federal Reserve is muttering about doing stuff that would cause unbelievable pain to American consumers. We are, in a very real sense, hitting the limits of Uncle Sam's credit card. It's going to happen eventually. It's happening right now. And you have to look at multi-billion dollar expenditures like helping Ukraine or like 
the latest study on whether squirrels can be good drivers or whatever else your government decides to waste a billion dollars on tomorrow and start saying, it's time for a little belt tightening here, guys. It, it's time to start cutting out the expenses, or at the very least, to look very carefully at that money. Now, we're at economic war with Russia too. We've been at economic war with Russia since minute one with all of these sanctions that were put together against Russia. And that's a quagmire. That's every bit as much of a stalemate as the military battle in Ukraine is. The, the economic war at Russia has so far been fought to a draw. The Russians were hurt a little, their economy dipped a little, but nowhere near as much as it was supposed to. You know, at the beginning of this, we were told the Russian economy would plunge 10% to, thanks to these overwhelming sanctions. You know what actually happened? It dropped like 2%. And this year it's going to grow. They're back onto a growth curve, a very modest growth curve. So, I mean, it hurt. It's no picnic. There are people in Russia that have felt a bit of a sting from all of this. But sanctions are not bringing them to their knees. Economic war is not bringing them down. They have too many other places they can turn. So one year on, it's a stalemate in every conceivable way. And it's becoming a war of both physical and economic attrition. I'm John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor for Breitbart News. We'll be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show. You may have never heard of it, but C. difficile or C. diff infection is a highly contagious bacterial infection that the U.S. CDC declared a major public health threat, which results in an estimated half a million infections each year. C. diff infection takes hold in the gut microbiome, and debilitating symptoms may include stomach pain, nausea, fever, and severe diarrhea. If you get C. diff infection once, Dr. Dennis Durrell, Executive Director of Hospital Medicine, American Physician Partners, LLC, says there's a good chance it will come back. Up to 35% of people who get a C. diff infection may get it again. This is called a recurrence. After that first recurrence, up to 65% may get C. diff again. Rebiota is the first and only FDA-approved microbiome-based treatment to prevent recurrent C. diff infection after you've taken antibiotics for recurrent C. diff infection. It's a single-dose treatment administered in minutes during one visit to your doctor's office. Talk to your doctor to find out if Rebiota is right for you. To learn more, visit rebyota.com. Rebiota Fecal Microbiota Live JSLM is indicated for the prevention of recurrence of Clostridioides difficile C. diff infection in individuals 18 years of age and older following antibiotic treatment for recurrent C. diff infection. Limitation of use. Rebiota is not indicated for the treatment of C. diff infection. Important safety information. You should not receive Rebiota if you have a history of a severe allergic reaction, e.g. anaphylaxis, to Rebiota or any of its components. You should report to your doctor any infection you think you may have acquired after administration. Rebiota may contain food allergens. Most common side effects may include stomach pain, 8.9%, diarrhea, 7.2%, bloating, 3.9%, gas, 3.3%, and nausea, 3.3%. Rebiota has not been studied in patients below 18 years of age. Clinical studies did not determine if adults 65 years of age and older responded differently than younger adults. You are encouraged to report negative side effects of prescription drugs to FDA. Visit fda.gov forward slash medwatch or call 1-800-332-1088. Please visit rebiota.com for full prescribing information. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans' organization has provided more real-time 
ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. The Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor for Breitbart News. Well, the Florida legislature has allocated $10 million to continue the practice of flying border crossers, illegal aliens, out to sanctuary cities, blue cities, points northwards, basically uh, sharing some of the burden of illegal immigration with the people who vociferously defend it, but then sing a very, very, very different tune when the illegal aliens suddenly show up at their front doorsteps. Here with us to talk about that program and why it's necessary is former state representative Mike Hill of Florida, a proponent of election integrity of the Pensacola chapter. Mr. Hill, welcome to the Alan Nathan Show. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an amazing story. When, when this first happened, when this business of flying illegals to the sanctuary cities was first done, I was just stunned, number one, that it's necessary, but it obviously is, and number two, that the people on the receiving end of this, the sanctuary cities, the blue states, the rah-rah-rah, illegal immigration forever types, were so comically unprepared to deal with this. They just collapsed into quivering piles of gelatin at the very first shipment of 100 a busload of illegal aliens on their doorstep. And they just turn into shrieking, hapless, neurotic lunatics that had no idea how to deal with it. They end up calling out the National Guard up in the Hamptons. They wind up sending the illegals to a camp just to get them the hell out of their front yards. I mean, it's it's funny, but it's sad. Why do we have to do this just to get half the country to understand what the other half is going through? Well, it's amazing. First of all, uh, Florida, as you might recall, sent a a group to Martha's Vineyard, um, 50 illegal aliens that they sent to that area. And as you say, they went berserk, had them immediately sent to a military camp and uh, to get them out of their front yards. Um, They have there have also been illegal aliens sent from Texas. Um, And by the way, that flight that Governor DeSantis did for Florida um, took place from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. It prevented them from coming to Florida in the first place. That was supposed to be their destination. Now, what they do is they ask these people if they want to volunteer to go to the other location uh, instead of Florida, and they sign this form and do so. And then when they get there, um, they, they are not treated as well as they want to be. In fact, it's interesting that New York has had um, thousands, tens of thousands of illegal aliens sent there. And the mayor there is uh, beside himself, doesn't know what to do, is putting them up in hotels and other facilities. But get this, the illegal aliens don't like New York City, and now they're leaving to go to Canada. It's going to be interesting to see how Canada is going to receive them. Uh, probably about as well, because that seems to be the recurring story here. Whenever you're pro-open borders, pro-illegal immigration, sanctuary city, you're a gaseous blowhard who just collapses instantly the minute you're actually expected to live up to your promises. As soon as somebody says, okay, here's a couple hundred illegals for your sanctuary city, uh, you lose your mind and you have no idea what to do about it. And the fascinating thing for me is listening to New York, listening to the mayor, and he complains about the stress that's going to be put on New York's social safety net by having having all these illegals, the expense of dealing with a tiny fraction of what's coming across the border. Well, yeah, uh, those of us who live on the border have been dealing with this for years. You expect us to shoulder 50 times that burden without complaint, but you get a little taste of it and you lose your mind and turn into a shrieking nincompoop. I mean, it's it's very instructive for anyone who's paying attention, and it seems like it's the only way to get a change to the policies in this country. What, what Governor DeSantis and others are doing here, it, it's crazy that it's a tactic that has to be used, but it's the only thing that works. That's right. And then we find that how showing their hypocrisy that New York didn't shriek, Martha's Vineyard didn't shriek until those flights were coming from uh, Republican governors, um, uh, Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott from Texas. But when those flights were being made from El Paso, the mayor there, who's a Democrat, they didn't say a thing about it. 
They didn't make a stink until it came from Governor DeSantis. But there were thousands that were sent previous to that from the Democrat mayor out of El Paso, Texas. So, uh, again, their hypocrisy is on full display. Now, what's interesting is when we send these illegal aliens to these sanctuary, sanctuary cities, you know, that's just a drop in the bucket of the real problem that is happening when we're seeing hundreds of thousands, now it's in the millions, who are coming across our border illegally. In fact, we don't have a border with the Biden administration. And there's a very easy way to stop that, like President Trump stopped it when he was in office, two ways. Number one, he had them staying in Mexico until they were properly vetted. That really slowed it down. But the other thing was President Trump told the leaders of those Central American countries, Nicaragua, uh, Venezuela, and Guatemala, we will no longer import your fruits and vegetables until you stop this. And it dried almost to a trickle. That's what the Biden administration needs to do again. Well, I remember also that President Trump made a big deal about the immense amounts of pure giveaway financial aid that are sent down to Central American countries expressly to prevent waves of migration from coming here. We pay those those governments off billions of dollars. And President Trump said, you know, we're, we're going to stop. If, you, if this doesn't get reined in, we're going to stop that money. And it worked. They, they did choke back on it a bit. But the political reaction among Democrats here was, how dare you, President Trump? How dare you? If you stop paying those governments off, who knows what will happen? How could it get any worse? <laughs> the border's not big enough to accommodate any more people than Joe Biden is waving across it. That's right. You know, and now we're seeing that those who are coming across our border, uh, uh, since January 1st, over 3,000 have been apprehended who have serious criminal histories. Those are just the ones caught, but they have serious criminal histories. Now, how would we know that? That means that they were incarcerated uh, uh, in, in their previous countries. So that shows us that those countries are opening up their jails and sending their worst people here. And Democrats are telling us we're supposed to embrace them, that we're a nation of immigrants, and we're not. We're a nation of legal immigration, not illegal aliens that are pouring across our border. And bringing across crime, drugs, uh, on, on an epic scale that's causing a tremendous human cost. But that's the point of all this. As long as the human cost is suffered by border states and people who don't vote for Democrats, they don't care. You know, you, you guys can suffer and die and pay, and we don't care. There's a story out there right now about a hospital, I believe, that's down in Arizona that's about to just go out. You know, they're going to they're gonna go away because they can't handle the expense of all the illegals. So they're going to go out of business, and that will deprive the legal residents of that area of their hospital. They won't have a hospital anymore. So you've got border states that are just crumbling under the stress that's being thrown at them. And not until you make some of the people up north feel a bit of the pain do any of the blue staters seem to care about the problem at all. They don't even want to discuss it until it's literally at their doorstep. But, you know, even when it's at their doorstep, the only reason they want to discuss it is because they don't want to handle the situation. They don't want to stop it. They just don't want it to be at their doorstep. They don't want to have to be able to pay for it, but they still want the illegal immigration to continue. And why do they want it to continue? because they look at those people as becoming dependent on the government and therefore being Democrat voters in the future. And it also seems like, as we've said here, it's an easy political football. It gives them a chance to virtue signal and say that anybody who opposes open borders must be a, a humanitarian monster. And they never want to talk about the humanitarian cost of mass migration, which is horrible. The people involved in this are suffering in, in amazing ways, and no one cares. Former State Representative Mike Hill of Florida, thanks for joining us. I'm John Hayward, your guest host today. We'll be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. 
So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. The new Mayo Clinic diet has been named among the top diets by U.S. News and World Report. Dr. Donald Hensrud, medical director of the Mayo Clinic Healthy Living Program, explains what makes their program so effective. Our new Mayo Clinic diet, built by a team of doctors and medical experts, focuses less on counting calories and more on empowering users with the knowledge and ability to maintain a healthy weight. Members get access to exclusive content and videos from real Mayo Clinic doctors, healthy recipes, tracking tools, and the popular Habit Optimizer that helps users substitute old unhealthy habits with healthier ones, all through a mobile app. Instead of fad diets or crash diets that rarely work for very long, our book and online program and app helps you adopt principles for a healthier way of life, which is really the secret to long-term success. Curious to know how healthy your diet is? The Mayo Clinic has an easy three-minute quiz. Go to mayoclinicdiet.com to find out. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Glowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News. You can find my work at Breitbart.com, and you can find me online on Twitter at DOC underscore zero. 
Last year, the internationally recognized list of medical diagnostic codes was quietly changed to introduce new codes that mean you're not vaccinated. There's a code that says people are un or under vaccinated, which means you didn't get enough shots or enough boosters. And there are now codes to explain why you didn't get vaccinated. And they say things like you are, are part of a group that doesn't want to be vaccinated or that sort of thing, you're a denier, whatever you want to call it. So basically, it, when you get right down to it, they're treating being unvaccinated as if it were itself a disease in a way that many other behaviors are no longer treated. You know, a lot of dangerous behaviors have been demedicalized over the years, and you're not allowed to say that they're psychological issues anymore or give those people suffering them help. You have to celebrate them and celebrate their lifestyle. But if you're unvaccinated, well, now they're going to start treating you like you're clinically insane, basically. They're going to start diagnosing that you're, that you're not vaccinated and why. And that could very well be a prelude to establishing an international global vaccine tracking system, a vaccine passport, if you will, so that when you travel abroad, you're going to have to be part of this system that you'll have you identified, coded and tracked, and it will tell uh, visiting countries when you get on a plane or go somewhere whether or not you've been fully vaccinated for whatever. We're not just talking about COVID-19 anymore. This is a bigger topic. There's more uh, pandemics coming, in case anybody was wondering. There's a, a nice bird flu thing bubbling right now that everybody's worried about. Who knows if that'll turn into a big deal? And God knows when the next COVID-19 is going to come along. I mean, we, we know it can happen now, which means it will happen again. So this is all being done to set the stage for a global tracking of vaccination status. And that can only open the door to even more tracking of statuses. There is a big movement around, around the world, really, to create some kind of standardized electronic ID. Many, many countries, I would say almost all of them at this point, are at least flirting with the idea of setting up a national identification system, and it will have biometric data, medical data, vaccine status, would definitely be part of it. That's really what got this going, was wanting to track people's vaccination statuses when the, the big push was on to get the shots into everybody. And even before that, there were a lot of, of countries that were th thinking about doing this so that people can be tracked and monitored in various ways. And that very much includes the United States. And there, there's this movement going to create some kind of a digital ID for you, a footprint that will track everything about you from what you read to what you buy to who you vote for to what you say. And China is leading the way on this. China has, for some years now, established a system called the social credit system. And you had better believe this is what's going to happen to you, too. This is every government in the world is drooling over what China has done, and they may not admit it, but they're very impressed with how China has pulled this off, and they can't wait to do their version of it, maybe with a few different details here and there. But it would basically be a way of tracking everything about you that could then be quickly and automatically plugged into everything from whether you can take out a bank loan to whether you can get a job. So that process begins with tracking vaccinations. And here with us to talk about it is Reggie Littlejohn, founder and president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers and co-chair of the Stop Vax Passports Task Force. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show. Oh, thank you so very much. I'm really happy to be here. I have a little familiarity with the ICD, with medical coding. I worked with it uh, once a long time ago, so I know what these things look like and how they work. And the idea that they now have ICD codes to track vaccine status is chilling in a number of ways. It's a little alarming because they're treating being unvaccinated like it was a psychological disorder, essentially, and they're, they're opening the door to more such attitudes. But they're also, in a practical sense, building a huge database of easily searchable information about people that can be linked into other databases to profile our behavior and that's not going to go anywhere good is it well that's that's exactly right so these ICD codes uh, not only do they track whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated or partially vaccinated but they have special codes for the reason why so it's called a delinquent immunization status okay that's <laughs> not judgmental at all I know making us all delinquents right if we we're, if we're not fully vaccinated and, and, and boosted but then one of the one of the codes is for patient refusal and another one is for belief or group pressure and so I think that that refers to people who have religious belief and are part of a religious group like you know a church or a synagogue or a mosque um, so so why are they tracking these reason codes um, other than to, to, pro to profile us. If you say, I mean, in my opinion, I believe that tracking the unvaccinated is a way uh, for the government to identify resistors, people who don't just go along with the government narrative, 
were unmoved by the heavy propaganda that was intended to terrorize us um, into getting these vaccines and who are, think, who are willing to, and able to think for ourselves and take the heat for going against the flow. And I, that's why I think that they are, have created these special codes for people who are not fully vaccinated by, you know, for COVID with the reason. The other thing about these codes that I find a little disturbing is that a lot of our public policy in our hyperactive, incredibly bloated, micromanaging nanny government is based on quickie reports. Somebody will do a report and they'll wave it around and say, look, 38% of people are not getting vaccinated because of group pressure. We need to fix that. And that's usually the prelude to some gigantic new coercive program that's going to get your mind right. So once they have this kind of data built up in the system and they can just hit a button and a report will fly out, I'll bet you're going to start seeing a lot of reports that say a disturbing number of people are resistors or they're linked also to disturbing political ideologies. And we need to do something about this and do something could very well mean get the FBI on the case these days. Well, and that's pretty much what happened to these poor teachers in New York City. I mean, I don't know if you saw the report, but there's a report out by an organization called Teachers for Choice saying that unvaccinated teachers in New York City had their fingerprints and a problem code, which indicates misconduct in, in their personnel files sent to the FBI and to the New York Criminal Justice Service. So that's just on the basis that they were not vaccinated. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is very, very close to calling that a, a, a crime. And this is the kind of thing that, that, you know, like characterizing unvaccinated people as being unclean or contagious or selfish or grandma killers um, is very similar to what the Chinese Communist Party is doing and has been doing uh, to the Uyghur population in Xinjiang as a prelude to genocide. I mean, you can... I, it really worries me. It seems like a lot of the people who are resisting are Christians, uh, pro-lifers, people who say, uh, you know what, um, these 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 so-called vaccines are made with or even contain aborted fetal cells, and so we're not gonna we're not gonna comply with this. And then to get us all on a list in order to persecute us on the basis of faith. And these lists interact with each other. These databases mess with each other. And I think we're getting a nice demonstration of that with the chat bot, uh, chat GPT, this uh, new artificial intelligence program people can talk to. That's how it works. It looks at huge amounts of data and it links them together very quickly to give you its answers. And that's how China's social credit system works. In China, you might have some data on your vaccine status if they cared about that, but also on what websites you visit, what politically unwise comments you've made in the past, what groups you donate money to, where you shop, how often you've traveled abroad, and uh, all of a sudden one day you're trying to get on a train and you can't because your social credit score has dropped too low and the system has decided to make you a non-person or you can't get a job or you can't open a bank account. There's every reason to think that's what's coming our way because some of that sort of thing already happens. We get stories every day about politically disfavored people and organizations that suddenly can't get loans, can't get financing, can't open bank accounts, can't process payments. The infrastructure for doing exactly the same thing is there. And it seems to me like a vaccine database would absolutely become a part of that. Well, yes. And, and the most dramatic example of that was what happened in the Canadian truckers strike, right? Where, where the truckers and those who supported them were identified as resistors and they got cut off from their bank account and their credit cards. And that's how the, the, the totalitarian Trudeau government ended that trucker strike. But absolutely. So, I, I believe that um, it's the World Economic Forum and the United Nations that are working through the, the World Health Organization to make everybody terrified of, you know, I guess the COVID has passed. I, I, I cringe to think about whether they have, whether there's another pandemic coming, but, but make it so that people feel that they need to have or that it's justified to have some kind of a vaccine passport, a mandatory digital ID, and any mandatory digital ID, including even a mandatory digital driver's license, can serve as the platform for a China social credit system in the United States, which will do exactly what you said it would do, uh, just like it does in China. All the data is already out there. They just have to centralize it, which is what the vaccine passport or the smart health card would do. And then what they do is they just connect it to your credit card and your bank account uh, so that they can completely control you 
if they if they don't like what you're posting on social media or if you donate to the wrong organization or if you refuse to be vaccinated and so we need to resist this before it happens because once the trap is sprung uh there's no there's no going back that's an important point there will be no stopping this if it gets to a certain point there will be no dismantling it or destroying that data or shutting the system down and i have to think the intimidation factor will be amazing if this gets up and running and people realize it's happening people will be so terrified of doing the wrong thing that they'll police themselves and and that's not a good thing reggie littlejohn founder and president of women's rights without frontiers thank you for joining us today i'm john hayward your guest host today we'll be right back with more of the alan nathan show. In December, LastPass, a popular app for managing passwords, suffered a security breach, potentially exposing millions of people's personal information. When a business created to protect passwords gets hacked, it's a reminder how vulnerable our sensitive information can be when stored in the cloud. And for businesses who need to protect data, security is a top concern. To help prevent security risks, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud recently introduced a password manager. Jump Clouds Antoine Jabara. Businesses cannot always rely on an offline solution as users need to share and access passwords across multiple devices, and cloud based options aren't ideal either. Jump Cloud Password Manager takes a hybrid approach, storing data on users' devices and seamlessly syncs user vaults to multiple devices in an end to end encrypted way. This addresses some of the limitations of cloud based systems and bridges the gap between convenience and security. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you wanna support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our vets need you. I'm a quadriplegic. 
I'm definitely at risk with my diminished lung capacity. I have MS. I'm in a wheelchair and I can't leave the house because I have a compromised immune system. I'm very concerned about would there be a bed for me? Would there be a ventilator for me? Would I be able to survive something? It's, it's just heavy. You know, it's, it's a heavy, it's a heavy moment. This is a war. This really is. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. I am so grateful for the PVA. They're making sure that we have all of the food and supplies that we need right now. We all got to help each other right now. We can't get through this by ourselves. It's with profound gratitude that you're going to be saving our lives. To find out how you can help, please go to helppva.org. That's H-E-L-P-P-V-A dot org. Welcome back to The Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News. You can find my work at Breitbart.com, and you can find me on Twitter at DOC underscore zero. Before the break, we were talking about China's social credit system and how if you have incorrect politics in China, you can suddenly find yourself denied access to banks and transportation and jobs and all sorts of other things. And there are versions of that happening here in the United States. There are examples of banks and financial companies that have shut down clients, shuttered their accounts, blocked their access because they had incorrect politics, because they were gun companies, because they advocated religious freedom or anything else that the people running the bank or the financial institution decided was contrary to the party politics, so dissidents must be punished. But you know who's totally okay? Jeffrey Epstein, that's who. If you're Jeffrey Epstein running a sex island, you can have all the loans and banking activity you want because you have connections with the ruling party, the Democrat Party, and you don't get punished and you don't get deplatformed. So this blew up into a big scandal last week at J.P. Morgan Chase as shareholders became quite agitated at the discovery that Jeffrey Epstein was free to commit all kinds of business with the bank that he wanted to, even when everybody knew what a creep he was and that he was under investigation. And meanwhile, politically incorrect organizations of a conservative event we're getting debanked by the the uh, bank platforms here with us to talk about it is paul chester director of the corporate integrity project at the national legal and policy center welcome to the alan nathan show sir good to be with you john that that was a great setup <laughs> you nailed it <laughs> <laughs> this is just it's got to be amazing to be a shareholder at the bank and to find this out that you know your your guys are busy cracking down on the political enemies of the democrat party and, and leftism and wokeism but jeffrey epstein the child predator is a-okay because he has a good party card in his pocket right well you know we're share our organization national legal and policy center and we have allies at the free enterprise project we both have shareholder resolutions we had them in before all these jeffrey epstein revelations came out that addressed the debanking issue uh, at jp morgan and we've got a similar resolution at wells fargo also where uh you know the, the one case that we focus on is where chase debanked the National Committee for Religious Freedom, which is a you know a religious liberty organization founded by former ambassador for religious freedom Sam Brownback, who was also governor of Kansas and a U.S. senator, and uh, he you know his organization after three weeks of opening their account, banks shut it down without explanation. They just couldn't use the account anymore. And, uh, you know, subsequently, you know, back and forth between his organization and, and the bank is, you know, they were basically, you know, saying we can't disclose why. And then they changed their story and they said, well, if you provide us your donor list and uh, who you intend to support politically, uh, we'll rethink it, which is just unacceptable. So, you know, we <laughs> putting it in context of what we've learned from the Twitter files. Uh, you know, with the collusion between the Department of Justice and, and the executive branch, uh, you know, this is a similar situation. And so our shareholder resolution asks for Chase to disclose uh, any contact they've had from the government, any requests they've received from the government to uh, scrutinize or debank people. And uh, the Free Enterprise Project asks, that, you know, what? how does this help your uh, your primary responsibility to to your fiduciary uh, accountability to shareholders. So they both, both ours and their shareholder proposals address that. Uh, and J.P. Morgan, unsurprisingly, is fighting us tooth and nail. They're asking the SEC to let them exclude our proposals from the, the proxy statement. 
this uh, debanking stuff and deplatforming online is so insidious because of that uh, detail you mentioned that you don't get an explanation. There's no bill of rights. There's no due process. You just get yeah. shut down. And it's transparently, obviously, for political reasons. But when you object and you say, why did you close my account or why did you knock me off Twitter? All you get is a song and dance about how they can't tell you. And then the reason changes 38 times. And then maybe yeah. finally they relent, you know, and let you back in. And you find out that you were kicked off Twitter because some lefty botnet with, you know, one guy in 36 bots decided to to turn you in as a, as a violator. And meanwhile, the Ayatollah Varan's out there calling for genocide, and that's fine. He gets to keep his account. Yeah, well, in the case of J.P. Morgan, you know, we had these revelations that came from that federal lawsuit that was brought by the government of the Virgin Islands. Uh, you know, through discovery, they found out that, that, that J.P. Morgan had internal emails that showed uh, – Jeffrey Epstein had withdrawn more than $775,000 in cash to pay off pay for his massages and sexual encounters which uh you know uh, the uh the risk department at, at JP Morgan flagged and said hey uh this might be a problem but they let him keep his accounts and then after he had been convicted down in Florida more stories came out and uh and they found out that uh that well the emails show that they knew about um 1.5 million was shifted from JP Morgan's accounts for Epstein to uh to recruiters of these uh these young girls and uh, their global security division raised the question again and they still allowed him to continue to bank so this is a knowing uh, activity that JP Morgan had and and it's just in contrast with what they did to Sam Brownback's organization it's just uh, it's despicable and I know people were wondering, what can we do to put a stop to this since these deplatforming, debanking efforts are, are proceeding unimpeded and it's getting worse and worse. But what do you do? I mean, how can you turn to a bank and, and say, you're not allowed to not do business with me? Is that something you can stop uh, short of making it something they just don't want to do anymore? Is there a way to penalize this or shut it down? Well, you know, we're, we've, as a result of this, we're caught, you know, we've, we've passed this on to the appropriate House Committee, House Financial Service Committee. Committee, we hope that they'll undergo a, an investigation here because it just the, the glaring contrast between the Epstein case and the Brownback case. Uh, you know, I, as as regular citizens, if you own stock in um, in J.P. Morgan, you know you can you can send a, a comment to, to the SEC. It's it's kind of a little bit of a process, but. You, know, you can say, "Hey, vote for these proposals," or uh, you know, these should these uh, these should be transparent. The bank should be transparent about this. Of course, the bank hides behind, uh, you know, oh, we have we have to do this. Be- we can't disclose this because of bank regulators and it's secret information, or it's investig- uh, you know, relevant to investigations. And you know, not all of this stuff that that, that they're debanking over is relevant to that. And they're fighting so hard against it at the SEC. I mean, they're just. If you saw the filings of their lawyers, you would see uh, how desperate they are to keep this off the proxy statement and not have it heard at the annual meeting. I feel like maybe the public is still in a little bit of, of shock over this sort of thing. They're still trying to wrestle their heads around it because 10, 15, 20 years ago, this was unthinkable. This, this sort of thing didn't really happen. And now it's become commonplace in so many ways. Well, I mean, it was happening under the Obama administration under Operation Choke Point. They had the DOJ had a. a uh, an operation to not to defund bank, uh, firearms uh, retailers and precious metals dealers, and so so it's it has precedent. And and bad precedents tend to lead to even worse further down the line. Paul Chesser, director for the Corporate Integrity Project at the National Legal and Policy Center. Thanks for joining us today. I'm John Hayward, your guest host today, sitting in for Alan. Thanks very much for joining us on this hour of the Alan Nathan Show. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.